Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Teesside Podcast with me, your girl, Tanya D. I want to, as always, start by saying thank you for all of the love and support you've shown me. And before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you to go ahead and rate, review, and be sure to subscribe over on Apple and iTunes if you've enjoyed the podcast so far. Today, I just want to talk about awareness. October seems to be a huge awareness month. I actually looked it up. There's all kinds of awareness going on for the month of October outside of the normal and the common ones that everyone knows about. October is actually ADHD Awareness Month. They have Healthy Lung Month or something like that. There's Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And then there are the common ones like Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That's the main one that everyone thinks about when they think of Awareness Month in October. And for that, I will say, ladies, make sure you're doing your self-breast exam. It's very important, regardless of your age, how old you are. If you're 40, you should definitely go and get your mammogram. Let them pinch your boobies. It's not that bad. If they're big or small, it doesn't matter. It's It would be a lot worse if you had cancer, because cancer sucks. And if you have a family history of breast cancer... Like I did, my grandmother had breast cancer. I had to really encourage them to go ahead and give me a mammogram before 40. I think I was 38 when I got my first one. So if your insurance company, if you feel like you need to get one and your insurance doesn't want to cover it, make sure you advocate for yourself because you need to have a baseline of what's normal. So if something does come up, you will be aware of it. You'll notice a difference where you won't feel like, oh, well, maybe that's always been there. That's always been that way. I know myself, I actually have fibroids and they, it depends on, I believe caffeine and I'm sure some other things, they can get bigger or smaller. And if they're really small, you won't really be able to feel them necessarily So it's good to have the mammogram so you'll know that they're present. I had a couple of them at one point and a few years ago, I actually had, I had one and they, because they would always tell me if it doesn't bother you, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. If it starts to bother you, let us know and we can do something about it. I could never feel them. I couldn't see them. And a few years ago, all of a sudden I could feel it like my breast was tender. And when I looked in the mirror, I could literally see it and it was red. And I was like, Oh, whoa, what is that? But I could see it. And I knew it wasn't always there. It didn't look right. And it was about the size of a quarter. So I went to the doctor and they said that actually it was two. It was a smaller one behind it. It's just that that one was so big, they couldn't see it. And all of a sudden I freaked out. So just the thought that I could have cancer, it was horrifying. It was absolutely horrifying. But they went in and they were able to drain it and it healed up. It's fine. You know, I get my exams and everything's fine. But that doesn't mean the other one that's in there or on the other side that that might not, you know, that they won't present a problem later on. But again, I know what's there. So I can be aware of it in case something else does come up. So ladies, definitely advocate for yourselves and go and get your mammogram. It's usually covered by insurance or you can find the little mammogram vans that they have where you can get the test done in the community. 
at no cost, but it's definitely very important. I want to talk about domestic violence, but more specifically, how it affects children. I do want to just go ahead and give a trigger warning in case anything I say may be triggering or upsetting for you or bring up certain type of feelings. And at the end, I will definitely link some resources for domestic violence. If you need some support, please reach out and get the help that you need. Domestic violence involves violent or abusive behavior of a spouse or a partner, and it can take on many forms from physical to verbal, emotional, or even sexual abuse. Really, it's just a way of someone demonstrating power and control over the other person. And I will say up front, it's not exclusive to men who are abusive to women. I've known women who have been abusive to men, but the majority of abuse comes from males towards females. A lot of times it doesn't just happen. It's generally accompanied by a combination of any other issues, such as drug or alcohol abuse, mental health issues, or past history of trauma and or abuse in itself. A lot of times the abuse will carry over to children and they're physically or sexually abused. According to the Centers for Disease Control, even if they don't experience the abuse themselves as a child, 68 to 80% of children witness the abuse that is going on in the home. Effects of the abuse can vary based on the age of the child and the frequency of occurrences that they witness. And that's more so related to your brain development as a young child and the way the neurons fire in the brain to help develop everything. If you've ever heard the saying, everything I need to know, I learned by kindergarten. That's because your brain takes in so much more information as a young child and it helps shape your brain development and how you learn. So if your brain is witnessing a lot of trauma, it's basically learning that fight, flight, or freeze response. And that's just kind of how your brain gets automatically wired. And those symptoms can vary from regressive behaviors like bedwetting, thumb sucking. They become very clingy and whiny and they have attachment issues to older kids just acting out, becoming more aggressive or more passive. And they develop self-esteem issues, depression, eating issues where they eat a lot or they don't eat at all. They develop sleep issues where they're constantly sleeping or they have difficulty sleeping. They have anxiety. So it really can just vary. And honestly, there is a very high chance that people who have witnessed abuse or been abused, they themselves become abusive in their relationships as they get older. I will say with all of those things, it really does take a lot of therapy and treatment to get past it. It's not necessarily something that is impossible. The more trauma you've experienced, the harder it is and the longer it may take, but it's not impossible, especially if you have a good support system along the way, or if you have positive interactions and representation in there somewhere, it definitely can help because you have something to counteract all of the negativity. You get to see that, oh, this isn't necessarily normal. It can be another way. It doesn't have to be this way all the time. Again, I will say some of the things I say may be triggering. I will definitely try not to go into a lot of detail, but I can tell you from my experience, the things that I've learned. The very first thing that I learned was that I can't trust people because witnessing abuse and then being around family members who saw these things happening and they didn't do anything, that let me know right there. Nobody's going to help you. You can't do anything about it. 
a specific instance was where I was told to just sit down, stay out of the way as this was happening. And I literally had to sit in a chair and watch because again, I couldn't go anywhere. So I literally watched all of this happening and watched all of these other people not doing anything about it because they said I was too young. So my thought was, well, if I'm too young, I can't do anything. It's more of you all than it is of him. Why can't you do something? And I don't know, I was possibly four, maybe five. I don't remember. So again, and honestly, to this day, that's the one thing that I still have to work on because I just don't trust people to really do anything, especially if they say it and then they don't do it. Trust is a hard one for me. But along with that distrust of people, I automatically moved into survival mode and I would live as if I had to survive because I was the only child for seven years. So I felt like there was no one there to really look out for me all the time. I had to be ready just in case everything was you never know. And that's another thing I didn't mention. Parents, whether they're the abuser or being abused, they they can become inadvertently unable to recognize emotional needs and recognize stress and other factors with their children. Again, it's not necessarily intentional, but if you're the abuser, you have a lot going on personally. And if you're being abused, you're probably living in survival mode yourself. You're probably blocking out a lot of things. So for me, my dad was very verbally abusive. I mean, he was also physically and emotionally abusive, but oddly enough, it wasn't necessarily towards me. I would never say he was abusive towards me. He would say some negative things. And another thing I've learned as I've gotten older and going through therapy, he had his own personal issues with his mother, apparently, that he hadn't dealt with. And he was a Vietnam veteran. That by itself explained a lot as I got older. That explained most of it because he also had substance abuse issues because as I've heard from several Vietnam veterans, that's what they told you to do. That's what they taught you to do. So you wouldn't think about all the horrible things that you were doing in Vietnam. They encouraged substance use. So that just became a way of life. He also had untreated mental health issues. I think he was probably in his 60s before he started a group for PTSD. Imagine he was, I don't know, like 19, 20 when he went to Vietnam and he was 60 something before he got help. He would always, you know, like most Vietnam veterans, he hated the government. They couldn't do anything for him. They never did and blah, blah, blah. So no, he wasn't going to the VA or some group and what could they do for him? He just had that mentality. And again, as I got older, I realized that that was fairly common for a Vietnam veteran. So he was dealing with his own issues. And on the other side, my mom was trying to survive with a young child in that type of environment. And let me just address the whole, why don't you leave issue? I believe it's one in seven times a woman will leave before she leaves for good. And I do remember we left more than once. My parents actually separated and we lived with my grandpa for a while. I think I was about one and a half. I don't re necessarily remember that, but I do remember being there all the time. And my mom has pictures. I, a lot of my pictures are from there. So I do remember being there. And at one point after my brother was born, we, we stayed in the domestic violence shelter for a couple of days. We've stayed with friends. So it's not like, oh, you just leave. Because again, these people are controlling and abusive. And a Vietnam veteran, 
more than likely has weapons. I also developed a very healthy fear of guns. So there's a lot of layers to this thing. But of all the abuse and everything that happened, for me, the worst was the verbal abuse. Again, he wasn't necessarily abusive to me, but everything he said was negative. I don't think he knew how to talk positively. I, don't, I just don't think it was in him. That was something that he had to learn. Again, that's, I think, honestly, that one is hardwired into my brain. It, it's crazy because a lot of these things I know, so I'm able to recognize my triggers. So that's a wonderful thing. But I have a thing and I will say it to people. Don't talk to me like I'm stupid. I hate it because that's all I ever heard growing up and it upsets me. I can't really explain why, but if I hear it, I can physically feel myself tense up sometimes. It's, I get really defensive about it. So a lot of times I will just not say anything because I know my response will not be favorable to most people. But therapy helps. I've learned how to express myself without necessarily lashing out. Because growing up, if you're in that type of environment, I I remember thinking, I probably shouldn't say that because you never know what's going to set him off that particular day or that particular moment. Things could be going great. I remember we would have people over to the house and you know, it was great. Everybody's laughing, having a good time. And all of a sudden, who knows, whatever reason, now it's a whole situation and everybody's quiet. Everybody's trying to calm him down just because it was crazy. And honestly, how music ties into all of that, like it always does. I would go in my room and close my door and play my records and listen to music to drown out all of that negativity and all of that noise. I needed something soothing. So music would just calm me down. I do remember one particular situation. Honestly, I really feel like that was God watching over me and protecting me because they say God protects babies and fools. I really think he was protecting me that day. It was one morning we were getting ready. My mom's getting ready to take us to daycare before she went to work and who knows what set him off that particular morning. I was really worried that it was about to blow up into a whole major situation that would be fatal. And that particular time scared me more than anything. And I remember because my dad always had the radio on in the house, the song I Can't Go For That by Holland Oates came on. And I remember just focusing on that song and listening to it because I was thinking the words were so powerful. It was like, yeah, I can't go for that. So the music spoke for me when I didn't really have the words. And I was about seven at the time, but you're little, you can't do anything. So you just have to sit there and watch it. And so I was able to not watch it. I was able to kind of see it, but tune out and focus on that song and focus on those lyrics at the time. So it helped me get through that situation. And for whatever reason, he calmed down and it wasn't anything major. We just left. I mean, we literally had our coats on. My brother was in the car seat. So we were literally on our way out the door. So it calmed down enough for us to be able to leave. But then I have to go to school. I have to go and be around other people and act as if nothing has happened. Life is good because, of course, you don't talk about these things. 
So as you get older, these are just learned behaviors. So if you're older and much, as I said, kids can become aggressive or develop self-esteem issues. I developed severe anxiety from not knowing what could happen. I didn't socialize well because one, I didn't want to have friends over at the house because again, you don't know what's going to happen. He might flip out that day. And that's embarrassing, especially when you get in high school. And everybody always liked coming to my house. They were, we want to go to your house. It's fun there. I'm like, no, it's not. I want to leave. Please. I'd rather go to your house. I developed social anxiety as well as just regular anxiety. Again, being a highly sensitive person, it just created a whole mess. Because if I get upset and mad and I don't have the words to say, because it kind of stunted my developmental skills as far as verbalizing. I didn't have the words to say how I felt. So if I get to a point where I'm really upset and I start to cry, that's not a good thing. And it took therapy to help me work through all of that. And honestly, to this day, to a certain extent, if I stop talking, that's when you know it's a whole problem. It's about to be a whole situation. And I've never been a physically aggressive person. I've always fought with my words because I'm too cute to get hit in the face. I'm not trying to fight. Mm-mm. So, you know, I'm learning, especially with this podcast, how to articulate my thoughts, which is really the biggest challenge with this podcast. But again, it's also the reason I wanted to do the podcast because I know the things that I have in my head can be helpful for somebody else. Also, with everything that was going on when I was growing up, I did have that positive image and positive support and influence along the way. My godparents, they were married. They didn't really argue and fight a lot. I would always go over there. I wanted to go over there. I spent time with, you know, their daughter and they would come and pick me up and take me places you know, just fun stuff. Like I said, I love to get away from the house. So anytime I could go over there, I was scheming with my friend, ask if I can go to your house. Okay. So I'll come to your house today. And then they come pick me up. Then you can just ask to spend the night. Like it was a whole scheme on trying to figure out how to get me over to the other house. And honestly, I don't really know how much of the abuse she saw, but my dad never really had positive words for anybody. So I'm pretty sure she saw some of it and people just chalked it up to, oh, that's just him. That's just how he is. I'm like, okay, but that's not right. And so the one other thing that I learned that may be an unpopular opinion is along with the trust is you can't trust the police. So before everything that's going on now became an issue in the past few years, I've never liked the police because my dad was a fireman. He knew a lot of the police officers. And if he didn't, when the police were called, all he had to do was say he was a fireman in this department. And all of a sudden it was cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, no problem. They wouldn't even do anything. They wouldn't arrest him. If he did get arrested, he'd be back the same day or the next day. And that was always depressing for me. I preferred when he was not there. But the most important lesson that I learned is resiliency. Watching my mom go through all of that, although she may not have always done the right thing at the right time, what I did see is her getting through it. She still went to work every day. 
She still took care of her kids, although I did pick up a lot of responsibility, whether it was intentionally or just part of my nature. I felt like I had to be there for her because, again, it was only me and her for seven years. So who else was going to help her if she's sitting there with a bloody lip and she's crying? I'm going to help her and make sure she's okay. And every time she would tell me, no, I'm fine. But I'm looking at her, I'm like, no, you're not fine. If I think about it, I can still smell dried blood. It's just something I always remember. But I learned how to be resilient and just fight through it anyway. You know what? Things happen. It's how you deal with it and how you persevere through it. And I also learned that (laughs) I do not, let me repeat, I do not tolerate wrong. I've always been that way. And to this day, One of my sayings is wrong is wrong and you're wrong is two left shoes. I just don't tolerate it. I don't deal with it well. And I will probably call you out on it without hesitation. And I don't really care. It helps with me being a social worker and being able to advocate for people and helping them to advocate for themselves. But for me personally, the struggle is being able to bring it back and find my calm in the whole situation. Not that I'm going to you know, get out there with my clients and start cussing and fussing. But I will throw my quote unquote black girl attitude and say, "Mm -mm, nope, that ain't right. But the way most people have seen me is based on one way. I was always the mean girl, but nobody ever knew why. I remember actually I was an adult. My friend would say, people would always ask me, what's wrong with Tanya? And I do remember people asking, what's wrong with you? Why don't you smile? I'm like, I'm thinking about stuff. Yeah, I had to think about, I'm going to have to go home. He's going to be there. Or I wonder if he's at work or hopefully he's gone. And it was just a lot. Plus, again, I'm socially awkward. So it just doesn't play well when you have to be around other people. I was always very responsible. I did what I was supposed to do. I didn't skip school. You know, I did my homework and took care of my brother, things like that. You know, my mom left the list. You had to clean the house on Saturday if she had to work overtime. You went through your list. You got your work done. So when she came home, because again, you don't need anything out of place. You don't need any stress. You need things to be calm as possible. So I became like the fixer. Again, it's helpful being a social worker. However, I have to not be the perfectionist all the time. And I've gotten a lot better with that, actually. I've learned to set boundaries and say, no, I don't have to do this for you just because you don't like it. That's okay. Like I said, I'm a work in progress always, but I've made a lot of progress. And part of it is being a therapist. You have to have worked through or be aware of your issues in order to be effective as a therapist. Because you don't want to project your personal feelings onto your client. You know, they say every good therapist has a therapist. And I definitely believe that's true. Because a lot of times people go into a line of work that they're familiar with or they have had some experience with or they want to know more about. So in order for me to help people to be more assertive and not aggressive, I had to be able to become more assertive and not aggressive. So a point to take away is don't judge people based on what you see. And I say it all the time. You never know what the next person is going through. Potentially, they just had a bad day. Potentially, they could have had a bad life. But you don't know that just because you see them in the grocery store and they're yelling at the cashier. You might think, oh, God, what's wrong with them? They're crazy. 
maybe they just have a lot of shit going on. You don't know. So you might want to monitor how you approach somebody because sometimes they really just need a calm voice because I like crisis work. I'd love being in that high energy situation. But when people get really stressed out, I become calm. I get really quiet, but that's when I can focus and do my best work. So sometimes you just need that balance. You just need somebody to ask, how are you doing? If somebody's currently in an abusive situation, I will say, especially in this time with quarantine and coronavirus, People who would typically leave, like my mom would go to work. She'd work overtime to not be at home when he's at home. But basically now people are out of work or their hours are cut. Aside from that, the kids are home all day long. So that in itself is stressful. And if somebody is already, even if they're not necessarily stressed out or suffer from mental health challenges, now Somebody could be sober for 15 years and now they're in the house and they're all stressed out. They're arguing with their wife, they're arguing with the kids and it becomes a whole issue. Now they're drinking again. They start with one drink and now they need a whole six pack because you know what? I got to get through the day. Mom didn't drink. You know, she'd be stressed out. She'd have a glass or two of wine on Friday, but now she's trying to teach these kids, deal with her crazy husband over here who doesn't clean up. He's steady making a mess. He's worse than the kids. It can just be too much. So you have to watch for the signs. Even if let's say, you know what? I'm fine. I've never been through any of this. This is true. You may not have. And thank goodness you have not. But again, that doesn't leave you out of the conversation because people who have or are going through it, they need that positive support. So if you can just ask your friend, just mention casually, are you okay? How are you doing? Just check in with them. If you can take the kids for a while, like me, I don't have kids. You know, long as it's a safe situation, if we can go, if I can take your kids out to the park where I don't have to have them sitting around in a close proximity in my house, great. I'll do that. If you can still socially distance and be safe, you can help out that way. And I will say, if you're in that type of situation, the most important thing is for you to be safe. Definitely be safe. Have that safe person. Again, I will link information to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can reach out to them. Their website is thehotline.org. And if you go to their site, and generally any site you go to related to abuse and violence, they have a safe button on there. So if you feel like somebody may be watching you or something like that, you can always click the button. If somebody's coming in the room, it will take you to a generic Google page. Even on the United Ways website, it will immediately take you over to a generic page. But if you feel like somebody's tracing your internet activity, you can always call. But if you reach out to them, they can help you create a safety plan for you to leave, possibly help with a uh, place to stay in an emergency, help with restraining orders or explain the process to you. But definitely try to find a safe person that you can trust, not somebody who's going to go back to the abuser and say something, you know, somebody who's going to go back to the abuser and like, you know what, you shouldn't be treating Tracy like this. You need to stop. That's not helpful. That's only going to make things worse. And if possible, you can keep cash I always recommend people keeping cash on hand because people who are abusive, again, they're controlling. 
So they may cut off your finances. They may shut down or take all the money out of your account and take your debit card. So if you can put a couple of dollars, two, five, ten, put it away somewhere safe, maybe with that safe person so it's out of the house. And also, if there's a situation where you feel like that person may come to your job, you may want to inform your employer just so that they're aware if they come up there and say they need to see you or something like that. They have a heads up that this isn't a safe person, potentially won't be a safe situation. So they're aware. Again, you just have to assess it for yourself. But to make sure that you're taking the steps to keep yourself and your children safe. And the last thing I'll say is whatever you do, do not stay in an unhealthy relationship for the children. A lot of parents will say, well, you know, I didn't grow up in a two family household. You know, I didn't have a nice house, so I want to stay so my kids can have that. And I will say that is not helpful for the children. The more traumatic instances they see, the more detrimental it will be for them. So it's important to get to a safe place. I also understand that it will take a few times for you to permanently leave and stay gone, especially now. Sometimes it's not financially feasible. You're not able to do it. So you have to do what works best for you in your situation. I just pray for everyone's safety and peace and calm during these challenging times and beyond. And for anyone like me who has had to deal with it and still dealing with it, I would say continue to work on recognizing what your triggers are so you can work through them because you will be so much happier once those things don't hold you down anymore because that's a lot of weight to carry, especially if you're like me and you're an adult, you witness things from a very young age, that's a lot to carry. And it can take a while to unpack all of it and recognize what's going on. But you can do it. I believe in you. If I can do it, you can do it too. And again, it's a work in progress, but we can get through it. We can do it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Teesside Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at the Teesside Podcast, all one word. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. And be sure to tell a friend about the show. Until next time.